Hi, good morning and welcome to the um, ZP Vlog and Podcast. We do this every Sunday at 8am um, London time and we really just do a wrap up on the sort of the news from ZP for this week. So if I um, essentially jump into it, then um, some of the news from this week, we put out a little bit of a note on um, the ZP organisational structure. This might seem a little sort of unusual, but it really sort of says that um, a company like ZP, companies sometimes structure themselves very rigidly into departments, into teams, and even into functions. So you can kind of have like a, you know, a marketing department and a um, R&D department, for example, and people very specifically, you know, are doing marketing or doing R&D in those departments. With a um, smaller business, people can have um, many hats, many functions, and actually multi and are, you know, genuinely multi-skilled. So at ZP, we sort of run um, a matrix organization, and we do try to, you know, define a matrix organization as, um, in some ways, people can, you know, work in different departments, go across different departments, go across different functions. And what you notice then is, you know, if we if somebody's got a budget to have what we would call five full-time equivalents on their project, then what ends up happening is we can end up bringing about 32 people um, to that uh, actual project. So they will get somebody who's excellent at electronics, somebody who's got very fine sort of soldering skills, somebody needs, who's good at 3D printing, somebody who's uh, very good at functionalization of electrodes, somebody else who's very good at um, manufacturing those electrodes. So we do run a matrix organization. This just basically means that we try to be more flexible than a kind of very hierarchical structure. And it does actually, you know, bring benefits to us. But I suppose more importantly, it actually brings benefits um, to the clients' programs as well. So we did put some news out about that this week. So almost at the heartbeat of what we do um, towards the sort of biosensor development community is our weekly um, developer zone. So this week, you know, we dealt with questions which were on um, cell culture monitoring and bioreactors, um, screen-printed electrodes for protein detection, Faradaic impedance, ammonium sensors, applications of ZP, CGM, continuous glucose monitoring. Um, we touched on cortisol sensing. We talked about chloride-resilient pH sensors. And we talked about sensors for bioprocessing. And we also talked, also talked about um, sensors for nutrients as well. Um, so it's just to say that if you have any technical questions of the ZP, um, then we do do this developer zone webinar every um, Thursday at 8am London time. And I think it really helps people, you know, they got a sort of question, they're stumbling over it. We had one guy who's um, got some CGM or continuous glucose monitoring products from us. And, you know, he was essentially listening live and he was able to give me real time feedback and I was actually responding to him um, as he was asking his questions. Um, so it does demonstrate that those webinars are, you know, not rehearsed, they're not rigid, you know, we're able to flow with the feedback in real time as people um, speak to us, essentially. Something else that um, we put out this week was actually um, about EIS, electrochemical impedance spectroscopy. But I realized that this is actually bigger than just impedance spectroscopy. One of the things that we do at ZP, um, it's, it, it should be the standard, but maybe it's not necessarily the standard, but maybe this is something I will work on um, with my 
academic colleagues and when I go to academic conferences is large-scale testing. I say on the um, blog this week, large-scale EIS testing, you know, electrochemical impedance testing. But I realise that when you read scientific papers, um, then you'll have a signal versus concentration. But, you know, sometimes those signals are sort of, you know, one test at, a, one test at each concentration. You know, the, the stronger papers, it's triplicate. Um, but I realise that, you know, when we do work, you know, we do really large numbers. Um, and so, for example, we were doing some work this week in EAS. Um, I happened to be in the laboratory at the time, and there were two scientists, um, one of them making the samples and the other one doing the testing. Um, now, that's the luxury of being a business, that the fact is we can do that. Now, I understand that during a PhD, etc., it might actually only be one scientist. So you've got a scientist that's both making the solutions and another uh, and the same scientist is doing the testing. But, you know, we industrialize testing of um, electrochemistry and the testing of electrochemical biosensors. We've really industrialized this. So we have two scientists, one making, one testing. And they tested, I counted the tests or the samples that they tested 90 samples. So when we're trying to make a consideration in this case it was impedance spectroscopy what's the impedance spectroscopy signal versus um, concentrations we did it on 90 tests um, and I just don't think necessarily that that kind of testing is happening in um, electrochemistry and I realize at the moment that in biology they they actually do um, testing in 96 wells um, quite routinely um, but it's just not done so routinely in, um, in, in biosensing. So maybe that's, that'll be one of the things we really want to work on, actually, is the idea that if 96 well plate testing is the sort of default in biology, why is it not the default testing in, let's say, electrochemical um, biosensors? And I think, the, I think the answer is it should be the default sort of number of um, testing. Something else um, that we did this week, um, which was really, you know, it's really a part of a series now that we've really sort of established is um, testing, or not sorry, testing, workshops. So at Zimmer and Peacock, um, there's many ways of learning with ZP. We have our ZP Academy. Um, we give internships. Uh, we have these YouTube channels, which are, you know, have a lot of really, really quite good material on them. But then I think almost the, you know, the, the best way and the most powerful way is actually um, our workshops. And so this workshop, we held a workshop in Swansea um, University. Um, it was really well attended. And I think, you know, people came away from it and really gave really positive feedback. Um, and it was just, you know, some things are quite straightforward, like um, the connection between cyclovoltometry and amperometry. You know, we just taught the fact that in order to do an amperometric experiment, you're probably best off doing a cyclic voltammetry experiment um, first. Um, and so the workshop was really good. We had some people from industry, some people from academia, um, and the blend between, we talk about the commercial aspects of biosensing, the theoretical aspects, but then we sort of wrap it all together because actually we have a very strong, um, I would say sort of testing aspect to it. You know, everyone goes into the lab, everyone makes a biosensor and everyone gets to test the biosensor. So I think people were really super intrigued um, by the whole experience and gave some very positive feedback. Um, at ZP as well, we do have some very um, 
nice collaboration. So one of our collaborators um, at the moment is developing a very nice aflatoxin B1 sensor. And so we just put a little note out about aflatoxin B1. It's really interesting that um, this is really a kind of carcinogenic chemical that's put up by um, fungus. Um, Aspergilla flavus is the um, is the culprit in this case, and this kind of gets onto um, a lot of organic materials, a lot of sort of farm produced materials, and um, it can it can be toxic both to humans, but you know to cattle, etc. Um, and so we just put a little article about um, this molecule, and that you know look forward to really some um, rapid tests um, coming around around um, aflatoxin as well. I think I just made the point that actually, you know, we have this, this kind of sense it all platform um, at ZP and the word sense it all is not just, you know, sort of spurious um, or frivolous comment. Um, it can actually test aflatoxin B1s um, as well. Um, and then finally, the last bit of news this week is um, ZP, you know, we have a really, a really nice um, product called the Food Sense. Um, it can detect could do full food quality um, testing, um, including measuring the hotness of chili sauces, chili products. And um, I just wanted to kind of put a little video out there this week, really talking about the solubility of capsaicin. It's really interesting, actually. You can make a um, point of need um, test. Um, I saw it called a POCT, a point of care test um, this week. So you can take this kind of chili sauce, you can prepare a sample, you can put it on the sensor, and you can get a result. Great, you know we're all super happy. Um, but capsaicin is kind of interesting because it's got a limited solubility. And in fact, I think I say in the video that it's kind of got a solubility that runs roughly um, from 13 ppm, 13 parts per million, to about um, 29 ppm. Um, ppm is um, milligrams per liter. It's a, you know, it, it's a useful term. Lots of engineers use it. I don't think absolutely everyone actually completely understands what it is, but it gives them a sort of, you know, units to put. So we were saying that when we were testing um, the bomb, the bomb is a very um, pungent, hot, let's say, sauce. Um, we were actually doing a 1 in 500 dilution, and that's because the natural solubility of capsaicin in sort of waters and buffers is about... 13 ppm, which is 208 Scoville units, to about 29 ppm, which is 433 Scoville heat units. So when you're trying to measure something that's advertising itself as like 100,000 Scoville heat units, we have to do quite high um, dilutions. And I just wanted to kind of give a rationale as to why sometimes we are, for example, testing Tabasco sauce, so that's one in four. Why is that low relative to the idea of one in 500 for the bomb? And it's because Tabasco's got a um, hotness of 2,500 Scoville units, whilst the bomb, as I say, is advertised at, I think on the side of the bottle, it says about 135,000 Scoville units. So it's just that difference in um, apparent hotness that means that we have to use more buffer with the hotter um, solution. So we just did a video um, to summarize that. So we've put out a little bit of news this week. Um, it's fair to say it's always a kind of eclectic that you know we talked about ourselves in terms of our structure and how our structure can make us efficient. We've talked about specific client problems um, and how people can engage with us. Um, we've talked about how we're doing a lot higher throughput testing than most um, companies and most um, groups do. So, for example, you know, just one EIS 
experiment, you know, involved two scientists and 90 samples were tested. Um, of course, you know, as part of our kind of mindset and mantra, you know, we, we do train other people. And of course, that Swan University is a good example of that. So in March, we definitely have um, workshops online, workshops um, in Norway and workshops in the UK. And then we're really looking forward to one of our collaborators who's bringing out an aflatoxin sensor soon. So we do look forward to that. And I think this is technically an interesting comment for people who are developing biosensors that sometimes you kind of run into unusual issues. And one of them could be the solubility of your um, compound of interest. And so I've given you essentially a strategy on how to overcome that. So if you have any questions on Zimmer Peacock, reach out to us. We will do our um, webinar every Thursday at 8 a.m. London time where we answer more technical questions. But that's really the news from ZP for this week. I wish you a good week and I shall speak to some of you on Thursday. Okay, thanks very much.